We're going to wrap up Tops and Shadows tonight. So this is, I think, part three of what we called His Word is Sure. Uh, we called it that because any New Testament, New Covenant truth should be able to be proven in, by type and shadow or by example in the Old Testament. It's a great way for us to check our doctrine uh, if we can go back and find a foreshadowing of it. And we've given you uh, scriptures, uh, each one of these sessions that use the word shadows in it that kind of explains where we get that terminology. I'm going to give you a couple of different scriptures tonight. Uh, when I was getting ready tonight, the Lord brought this to my attention. One of them is in Colossians 1, uh, verse 25. We'll start with 25. He says, the apostle is talking. He says, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we've used that verse a lot over the years, but I love that it talks about the mystery that has been kept hidden. That literally means the mystery that was kept concealed about Jesus. I mean, we're looking back, and we're going, oh, that's talking about Jesus. When we look back at, at the Old Testament, oh, that's showing me Jesus as my Savior. That's showing me Jesus as the Redeemer. That's showing me Jesus. Where they were looking forward, so they didn't see what was concealed. We're looking back, and the mystery that was concealed is now being revealed to us, which is Christ. And that's, that's been our emphasis on all the sessions, is that Everything from Genesis to Revelation should be about Jesus. It should show us, tell us something about Jesus. The other one was from Romans 16 and verse 25. It says, Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel, this is the Apostle Paul again, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now is revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him to the only wise God to be glory, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And y'all, you just can't think that a man came up with Genesis through Revelation. Through Revelation. Because of all the things that are hidden in here that are so perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Just the things that we've covered in, in two sessions. And, and I know we got some people in here that hadn't been here for the other two sessions. And I apologize, but there's just no way to go back. Uh, there's no way to go back through it and us get out of here tonight at any time. So we're just going to go from where we are. I want to encourage you who are students of the word. And I thank God you are. Uh, to, to look up those words, uh, mystery, hidden, hid, because that's what we're digging out. We're going back and we're, going, we're looking at these things that were concealed that are now revealed to us to find who we are in Christ Jesus. And it's, it's a great study. I enjoy it. I appreciate y'all letting me go three sessions on it. 
Uh, I could go more, but I feel like this will probably be the last one tonight. But you'll, you'll go back and read the Old Testament, and you'll start digging things out for yourself. So let's go to Exodus 15 tonight. Well, I think the last time we taught these was in 2019, the best I could tell from my notes. And we called it Shadows in the Desert when, when we talked about uh, the different things that happen in the wilderness uh, with Moses and the children of Israel. And so I kind of subtitled it that tonight, Shadows in the Desert, because we, we know that these are accounts of real people these things really did take place. At the same time, there's layers to the word of God, and they were revealing Christ to us. It was just hidden until Christ, and now it is. Now we look back and we see. We can plainly see. So in verse uh, 20, the, the whole Red Sea thing had just happened, right? And so there's this great celebration because the children of Israel were pinned up uh, they had been, Moses had gone in and set them free from slavery. Uh, they had taken the goods and left Egypt. They've gotten to the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh decides, oh, wait, there goes our labor. Uh, let's go get them. Let's bring them back into captivity. So Pharaoh and all of his chariots are, are chasing the children of Israel. The Red Sea is before them. Uh, Pharaoh is behind them. It looks like they are trapped. And God tells Moses to raise up that rod and part the sea. And they walk across on dry ground. And Pharaoh's chariots go into those waters. And the men go into those waters. And God lets that water loose. And their enemies are covered. And they are they're taken care of. Which is a great type of our salvation. Uh, we're only chased by ghosts <laughs> of the past. They have no power. And so uh, Jesus took care of that for us, didn't he? So that's what's happening here in verse 20. Miriam, uh, who was the sister, we used to sing this song, by the way. I'll try to keep my mom calm on the front row. She don't go into song, Mom. Uh, Exodus 15, <laughs> I have no control. Uh, verse 20, and Miriam the prophetess, which I find interesting after Ladies Agape, we talked about um, women in the ministry. Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And they're celebrating the Red Sea experience. And Miriam answered them, Sing you to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, the armies of the Egyptians, have been thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness. Just a little three-day thing you might circle there for later. And found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. And Marah literally means bitter. They tended, they tended to name things accurately. So this was a place of bitter water. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, what are we going to drink? Now, the children of Israel were big complainers. Okay? 
Uh, God, God would bring them out, and they would complain. God, and, and we have to really watch not to follow in their footsteps. And he cried unto the Lord. Moses cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. We got bitter waters. The people are thirsty. They cannot drink of it. And Moses cries out to God, and God shows him a tree. You just have to know that that's got to mean something because that's weird. And he showed him a tree. He didn't say, go grab a tree. He showed him a tree, which when he had cast it into the water of bitterness, if you will, the waters were made sweet. The, the waters became living water when, I'm going to say, when the cross was applied. This has got to represent the cross taking away the bitterness and making it sweet, living water. So this is an Old Testament foreshadowing or something Jesus would do for us and, and the references to living water in the New Testament, uh, one of them being John 4, 14, uh, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give them will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him, I'm sorry, drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And then John seven thirty eight, he says, who ever believes on me, applies the cross, if you will, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. So this salvation that we get to experience in Jesus Christ is not only salvation from the flames of hell or from the judgment of God, although that is certainly included, but it is a life. And when you look this word up, living water, it means refreshing and satisfying. It's not stagnant water. It's not stale water. It's not poison water. It's not bitter water. It is a refreshing and a satisfying water. And, it, and according to John 4 and then John 7, it's not just in you. But it's something that's supposed to flow out of us as Christians. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced it. Well, never mind. I know you've experienced it. You can go into a bitter situation and you can be living water there. And we have to remember to do that. And that we have that on the inside of us through Jesus Christ. So I think that's a good one. It's a short one. But uh, it's, it's a great one. You can go back and read it because I'm telling you, I'm just picking some out of the wilderness journey. You, you could just read the whole thing and you just see Jesus all the way through. And the next one's in Exodus 16. Did I give you all that that was Exodus 15? Okay. <coughs> Exodus 16. The manna. This was one of my favorite stories back in the day when we had... Sunday school class and I was a little girl and we had those things called flannel graphs and I, I apologize to you youngsters that don't know what flannel graphs are uh, they were great they kind of gave us a visual for the lesson we were learning I guess y'all 
I don't know, they do it on media now, but it was it was kind of cool. And we still actually have some. I found some in a storage room upstairs. If any of our many of our preschool classes ever want to use them, we've got some. Um, but the, but manna literally means what is it? That's what it means. It means what is it? And it was the bread that fell, or the the meal that fell. Everyone, the the people were hungry. Moses calls out to God. He's like, the people are fixing to stone me here. I need something to feed these people. And so God makes this manna uh, literally come from the sky. And everyone was to gather it according to how much they needed. And it was to be gathered daily. Uh, They were not to store it up because if they stored it up, it got wormy. It began to stink. And this, this is a great example of us needing our daily bread, of us needing daily word. And we can't live off of yesterday's word. Uh, we, need it, we need a continual feast on the word of God. We'll read here in just a minute, but I didn't want to have to read uh, chapters. And then on uh, the sixth day, they were to gather the double portion because they were not going to gather on the Sabbath. So they were to gather a double portion, and it wouldn't ruin. It would hold over to the Sabbath. Uh, verse 31 of Exodus 16. I had to bring, you know, my old Bible, my faithful one that has all my good notes in it. I'm trying to, trying to switch everything over. I might need to just hire somebody to, of course, they wouldn't be able to read my writing as my staff knows. And my husband. Thank you, babe. I'm the only one that can read it to to move it from Bible to Bible. Uh, Verse 31. This is just because you're students of the word and inquiring minds want to know. It says, And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like, how do you say that? Coriander seed? White, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So I don't know, as a child, I always pictured this like as loaves of bread that hit the ground. And it really wasn't. It was something that they used. They ground it, and they used it like a flour. And they would bake it in pans. And we'll read that here in just a minute. But I don't know, as a kid, maybe it was this way on the flannel graph. Maybe somebody else older in here could tell me, Tab, you're my age. Uh, I saw it as loaves of like, Texas Roadhouse bread hitting the ground. <laughs> Maybe that was just in my dreams. I, don't know, I still dream of that. Um, you know, just hitting the ground. But it was like a seed cake, which I find it very interesting that what's being symbolized here is the word of God is a seed that you cultivate into what you need for life. And so that you have a part in this, in gathering it and in bringing it into productivity into your life. We're not just hearers of the word, but we're doing something with the word, right? So I kind of found that interesting. And it goes on in Numbers 11, if you want to flip over there real quick. Like I said, this is just for inquiring minds. Flannel graph babies. Uh, Numbers 11 and verse 8. It says that they went about and they gathered it and they ground it in mills or beat it in a mortar 
and baked it in pans and made cakes of it, and the taste of it was like the taste of fresh oil. And I thought, okay, was it honey or was it oil? Well, when they were making their bread, they used both. So one scripture just says oil and the other, which I find oil interesting because it typically represents the Holy Spirit. Then you're bringing Holy Spirit in with the word. But it was good. When they ate it, it was good. And that's the way... I mean, that's why we come out on Wednesday nights, because we partake of the word, because, you know, we may not want to go out and gather it. We may be tired when you get off work, you go home, you cook supper, get your kids' homework done, but you know the word is going to be satisfying, and that's going to be good. And so they went out and gathered it. I went to Psalm 119.103, because we begin to think about this honey tasting bread and it says how sweet are thy words unto my taste yea sweeter than honey to my mouth Ezekiel 2 8 Ezekiel said or the Lord said hear what I say and don't be rebellious but open your mouth and eat what I give you and Ezekiel looked and a hand was sent with a roll, and I don't mean like a roll like bread, okay? I mean a roll with a roll of paper of a book and spread before him. And then in Ezekiel 3, he tells Ezekiel to eat that roll of paper, not literally, but, and he said, cause thy belly to eat it. Cause thy belly to eat it. When you don't want the word, Cause your belly to eat it. You know, I deal with people a lot in oppression or depression. And you know, the last thing they want to hear is, you're going to have to increase your word intake. You're going to have to increase your word intake. Cause your belly to want it. Cause your belly to eat it. That's what he told Ezekiel, and I thought that was interesting. Cause thy belly to eat it and fill up with it, and it was as honey to his mouth. Once he tasted it, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Manna was no doubt a type of the sustaining word of God. It is what he sent his people to sustain them. And I remember in, in Revelation, when we did the verse-by-verse study of Revelation, which we will do again, probably, hopefully next year, uh, Revelation 10, 9, John was told to eat the little book. You remember that? God said, eat the little book. And he said it was sweet as honey in his mouth, but it was bitter in his belly. And so that's just another, John. that's Revelation 10, 9. Uh, you can study that out. It's interesting. So the manna was a type of the word of God or the bread of heaven. And if I remember right, Jesus called himself the bread of heaven, didn't he? And he was born in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. It just, it just all ties together. So we'll probably study some of that out when Christmas the week of Christmas or the week before Christmas. Hey, wait, that's just a couple of weeks away, isn't it? (laughs) All right, Exodus 17. Y'all tell me if I'm moving too fast. I could have read more, but it's like, where do you start in these? We'll do a little bit of reading here in Exodus 17. 
Oh, I love this one. This one, this principle that we're fixing to cover in type and shadow is so important to your Christian walk today. There, there is such a revelation here that we've got to get a hold of that a lot of, I'm going to say, religion uh, doesn't have a hold of. And Exodus 17, we'll, we'll pick up in verse 3. The people thirsted there for water. We're, we're out of water again. And the people murmured against Moses. This, this is a common theme. <laughs> and said, Wherefore is this, that thou hast brought us here out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? You brought us out of slavery. You know, how many times did they say this? You got us out of slavery. You brought us out here to die. Y'all, we've really got to watch our complaining. And Moses cried unto the Lord. And he said, what do you want me to do with these people? What, what do you want me to do with these people? They're ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod. You remember the importance of this rod? When God first called Moses to lead the people and Moses was real insecure about who he was and why God chose him and and God, God gave him or told him to take up this rod, which is a, a type of our authority, God-given authority. And he told Moses, he said, throw it on the ground. And it became a snake. And then it was Pharaoh's guys. They, they had snakes. But Moses picked his back up and it became the rod again, which is a type of Jesus becoming taking on our sin nature, and then back into his place of authority. And you know what Moses' snake did when it was a snake? It ate the other snakes. And, of course, the big joke that's been for years is it was a king snake. Yes, it was. It was the king snake. And it ate the magician's snakes. And, I mean, all those types are in here, y'all. They're all in here telling us who Jesus is. Not only who Jesus is, but who we are when we have that rod of authority, which is the word of God. And so he tells Moses, take that rod, take that authority, wherewith you smote the river, take it in your hand and go. And behold, I will stand before you there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, the rock is usually, as far as I can tell, unless it's using a different word for rock, which there's Petra and Petros in the, in the Hebrew, you have to kind of look at. But Jesus is the rock, the big rock. Uh, Peter was the little rock off of the big rock, remember? Uh, but, but Jesus was the rock. And Moses is told to strike the rock and that water will flow out of that rock to take care of all the people. So if we're going to do type and shadow here, we're going to see if this will fit with Jesus being the rock. It was with God's authority and God's permission that Jesus was smitten. Couldn't have happened otherwise. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 10, and we're going to look at where it refers back to this, okay? Y'all hang in with me? 
1 Corinthians 10, and we'll start in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you would be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So I'm at the cloud that led the children of Israel and how they passed through the sea. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Okay, you can't get any plainer than that. We now no longer have to, have to wonder if that rock was typifying Christ. Yes, it was. That rock was Christ. And this is what followed that type and shadow was Jesus Christ. Him being the rock that was smitten or struck. So that that living water that we've talked about earlier could flow and could feed our lives. Now later in Numbers 20, back to the children of Israel, uh, they're thirsty again. And this is Numbers 20. We're going to pick up in verse 8. I'll give you a minute to get back to Numbers because I should have told you to hold your spot when you were in Exodus a while ago. I was thinking the other day, because we used to have this little song that we did in children's church. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. I need to do that again. I need to learn the books of the Bible again. like Because these little tabs in my Bible have spoiled me. And And using a computer where I just type it in and it finds it for me. I was looking for one of the minor prophets the other day and I thought he had been lost. And so I was sitting here trying to remember that little song, and I could only get part way through. And I said, Mm-mm, "We might need to make that a project for Wednesday nights. We might not the song, although songs do help me stick with it. Bridget might have to write us a new, a new updated version of it. Make a good, good book, Bridget, our our book writer. Numbers twenty, verse eight." So the people are thirsty again, and God instructs Moses. He said, take the rod, there's that authority again, and gather you the assembly together, you and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock. First time he had him strike the rock. This time he's saying, speak. So totally different instruction here. Speak ye to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. This is not New Testament talking here. This is Old Testament talking here, and it still calls it his water. So this is prophetically speaking of Christ. It shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts to drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said to them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Moses is a little in the flesh here. He's upset with the complainers and grumblers. Is that a word? Grumblers. And he says, do we have to get water for you out of the rock again? And Moses lifted up his hand 
And with his rod, he smote the rock twice. He was supposed to speak. The rock had already been smitten. Jesus was only to be smitten, crucified once. And this time he gets in the flesh, he gets angry, he gets pressured. The people are back here barking and he's mad. And in his anger and his frustration, he strikes the rock twice. He ruined the type. <laughs> he, he, he messed it up. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Because he didn't believe and do what God had instructed him to do, which was the whole type God had set up to show Christ and that after Christ had gone to the cross and was smitten for you, after that you just use your authority and you speak to circumstances and situations. Jesus does not have to do anything else. His salvation is complete. Now you speak it in your authority and you don't have to have Jesus do something else. He has sat down at the right hand of the Father. He is finished. He's finished. And what Moses did was strike him again. Um, stop asking to do Jesus to do what he's already done. That's the big lesson that a lot of religion doesn't have. Stop asking Jesus to do what he's already done. Now you speak to that circumstance. You speak to that situation. You have that rod of authority. You take that rod and you speak instead of striking Jesus again. Let's go to Romans 10 and look at that in a New, New Testament lingo. So I know people think, and I mean, I've thought this. Moses was a great man. One of the meekest in all the earth, right? That's God, God called him that. He, he had gone and set the people free, went head to head with Pharaoh, uh, did great signs and wonders and miracles that God had enabled him to do. Remember the frogs and the flies and I mean all the things that, that God had him do. Uh, what, a, what a great leader he was, yet he was still human. And the people were real quick to, to judge him. They were real quick to complain and to murmur. It, by the way, God doesn't take kindly to. Um, and so, you know, he, he got angry. But then I, I want to go, but he went all this way, 40 years, wandered around with these complainers in the wilderness, gets them this far, and now he's not going to get to be the one to take them in? That just goes against me being for the underdog here. I, I want Moses to get to take them in. But it messed up the type. And he still had a great life. And God still took care of him. But he did not get to take them in. Joshua got to take them in. And Caleb. So I know it gets to me. I 
My hat's off to Moses for all he put up with, but shouldn't have struck the rock twice. Romans 10, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things shall live, will live by them. So that's talking about under the law of Moses. I mean, if you broke one law, you broke the whole law. And we have grace in Jesus Christ. And he gave us his righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness that was a gift to us. So our standing being clean before God was a gift to us by Jesus Christ. So verse 6 says, but the righteousness that is by faith, that's how we're righteous now, by faith, by believing in Jesus Christ. That's how we're righteous. This is what righteousness that is by faith says. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does the righteousness that is by faith say? It says the word, it is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That's the whole mission of this church. (laughs) It is the word of faith. And the word of faith is not a denomination. It, it It is believing that Christ's work is complete and having faith in that. And in doing it exactly what this just said, the words near me, it's in my mouth and it's in my heart. What's in my heart comes out my mouth. Jesus is Lord. Oh, sorry, I skipped a part. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. That's the New Testament version of Numbers that we just read. This is what it was showing us that the new covenant would be like in Christ Jesus. The rock has been smitten. He does not need to be smitten again. He got everything completed that he needed to. And the water flows out to us. Whatever we need, that living water for life, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that living water that came from the rock is the very living water that we have that Jesus was talked about in John 19. Um, It's typified when he was on the cross when the soldiers pierced his side. Do you know what came out? Yeah. Blood and water came and flowed out. When you strike the rock twice, you X yourself out of the promised land. Because it's all by faith now. It's all by faith now. It's all by believing in what Jesus did, not believing what you did, believing what Jesus did. 
And so don't X yourself out where you can't receive the promises of God. And a lot of people talk about the promised land as being heaven, but it's not. It can't be because there's still enemies in the promised land, and they had to go in, and the enemy had to be driven out. Well, there's not going to be any enemies in heaven. So the promised land is exactly what it says. It is the promises that were made for the New Covenant, New Testament believer. And so when we cross over, and we did when we accepted Christ, over into the promised land, now we receive those things by faith. And we still have to drive out the enemy. But, you know, it's just so interesting to me in how they drove out the enemy. Uh, they didn't have to fight that battle. They just had to be do what God showed them to do. And sometimes hornets would even drive them out. And God would send, send things that would drive the enemy out. And the walls of Jericho, you know, walk around that thing a couple of times and blow the trumpet, and the walls will just fall down in front of you. That's the kind of driving out the enemy that they did when they moved into the promised land, which Jericho, by the way, is the top of the tithe. It was the first city that they took when they went in, and they were not to take the goods from that. That was to be God's, and then the rest after that was all theirs. So when you have people question uh, tithing, uh, there is an Old Testament type that to me proves doctrine. So you can look at that at your convenience. That was freebie right there. Uh, what kept them out of the promises or out of the promised land was not the enemy. It was unbelief. You know, a lot of people didn't go in. They chose to live just outside of the promised land. Not in slavery, not enslaved to sin anymore, but we're not going to take everything God has for us. The milk that flows with milk and honey. Because God said, there's a land that flows with milk and honey. I mean, you remember back when they first got told about the land and they went in and they got the grapes and the guys had to carry them back on sticks? The clusters back on sticks? Some people chose not to go in there. They chose not to walk in that. They didn't go back to slavery. This is a lot of, like a lot of Christians who they're saved from hell, but they, they think it's going to cost God something extra for them to cross on over. No, the promises are already paid for. The land's already provided. Jesus Christ paid for that. He, he provided that. So go on over into the things that's God provided for you. Because look, if you don't need it, your neighbor does. And the whole purpose is for living water to, to be in us and flow, flow out. And so I, I've got a list of people that you can help if, if, if you need a list. With that, well, I think we'll close. I think that was pretty much it. I was just going to wrap up um, that the words that are in this book, the Old Testament, were painting a picture of Jesus Christ and of you, who you are in Christ. And uh, we usually cover some of the things around Christmas about what the prophets said and how they painted a picture of Christ and how everything about his life had to be painted in words uh, in fact, the, the uh, prophet Amos said that there is, no, there is nothing that God does that he does not first reveal to his prophets. 
And those words were spoken into the earth before Jesus came into the earth. And it's a, it's a beautiful study. The word of God is sure. It is perfect and it is sure. Every, every T is crossed and every I is dotted. He, Jesus had to fulfill this entire book perfectly. Perfectly. And he did. Amen.